0: You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more.
1: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com.
0: This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello there. I'm Stuart Goldsmith, and in this episode, I'm talking to comedian, MC, writer, and promoter Stephen
2: Grant. I started out in comedy, like I said, in '97, and and the whole thing was that I uh, my approach to it was fascination in this in this black art, you know, and trying to work out what it is that made some things tick, one things did, and like all enthusiastic but ultimately non-natural comics and I'm not a natural comic um okay. and I and I am again that's another subject I'm very uh, I'm very interested in is the difference between sort of the the um the old idea behind Born comics and people who learn the job I learned through mistakes okay. I just I I understood there were lots of different ways of doing comedy and I probably tried all of them and I just dismissed them one at a time when they didn't work I mean if I was a a police detective looking for a murderer I'd accuse everybody and then one by one uh, whittle them down until I found someone who did it sure and and that's um, and that's that was my approach my approach was I don't understand how this works but I'm going to find out by trying everything and dismissing everything that doesn't work Okay so that
0: I mean that's fascinating that you that, I mean that's a really i 've never heard anyone say that before i 'm not a natural comic. I sometimes feel that about myself. I feel like the only way i'm doing this is I might think, oh i'm naturally quite charismatic, but i 'm not naturally funny i 'm not one of those people who can get a laugh without Knowing how they get the laugh, or I, I can't even quite. I'm not going overs- to
2: oversimplify it because I reckon I could write a book on this. Go on. But I think uh, there are certain things that are being natural: Your natural charisma, uh, natural empathy, uh, natural presence, mm-hmm. um, natural timing. I mean, that's probably the most important one. Mm-hmm. Okay, which most people, like, you can be a really funny writer and not have great timing yes but y- y- you probably never make it as a performer and but- i could list about 20 people we know that that would be like that but but but, but naturally funny as yes. in a radar, you can have
0: all of those things
2: without being naturally funny, can't you? Yeah. But naturally funny is the radar to tell you immediately what something, is, how something is funny straight away. And yeah. It's not just even the ability to be able to come up with something immediately. Because if I was going to say, "Oh, what's my unique selling point?" If someone says to me, "What makes you better than other comics?" I think, "Well, actually, I'm probably as quick a thinker as yeah. there is on my feet on stage, and I've got an idea for most situations." But but that's. But that's something that, you know, I understand is only one piece of a jigsaw. And there is a lot more to it. And in some instances, that ability is pointless anyway. So it's not as if, you know, I could live off that. Sure. Um, But that ability to to be zoned in, to be able to go, you know what, this is... Uh, if I That whole You know if someone says The phone book out loud It would be funny I think yes. it's an oversimplification But what they mean is They've got funny bones Right yes. Yes. How many people in the UK it, Within our industry Have got that I'd say probably about 15 that yeah. is it, maximum. And uh, probably only a couple of them are British. I okay. think I think the majority of them are overseas. Uh, there, there is a depressingly large amount of natural ability in visiting Canadian comics.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was
2: going to say. Right. I, uh, what sort of people are we thinking about? And the first one I thought was Craig, actually. Right, well, Craig Campbell, yes. But, yeah. but then also Tom State as well. Yeah. Oh God, a natural yeah, comic. Yeah. But, but do you want the... the the rather depressing industry view of what makes a natural comic someone who is still constantly working at the top of the level despite being as an individual so unprofessional in any other job nobody would employ them because they've just got that they could barrel up 20 minutes late without any shoes on off their face Mm -hmm. stumble on stage and be brilliant and stumble off again Mm -hmm. and a lot of people mistake uh, that excesses of human activity as a byproduct of their ability. It's not. It's not. It, comics on the whole aren't depressive, terrible people. Sure. But the natural comics have got that ability to be funny despite being that. Yes, okay. Right. The world is full of crap alcoholics and depressive people <laughs> who've got no abilities in life but are brilliantly funny, mm. right? But thankfully, or, or, or sadly, comedy is one of these jobs that you can continue to do mm. while still at the absolute depths of a nervous breakdown. And that's why people go. Oh, loads of comedians are depressed. No, just loads of depressed people in other industries don't continue to work. I totally agree with but that. But in comedy, they do.
0: Analysis. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You know, it, it's. That's it, I've often thought that, with uh, as you know my background in street performing, mm-hmm. that it allows you because it has nothing else attached to it. You don't need to turn up on time, all those sort of things. It allows people to continue being depressive and alcoholics, mm-hmm. to a but to a, to an effective functional level. Yeah. Whereas in a real job, they wouldn't be able to function. Yeah,
2: so. and, and the and the and the and the. Amb- absolute upshot of this is I'm definitely not a natural comic but I can tell you probably about ten people who I think are at the absolute top of their game who are also not natural comics I don't think okay. Jimmy Carr's a natural comic I think he's an excellent grafter sure. and he's got a finely tuned raid. I don't think Dave Gorman is a natural comic I think that that, that is a man who has a, a real nose for a, a great idea and how yes. to extrapolate the comedy out of it but those are all decisions he's made those are all Understanding of what makes something funny. He wasn't born with that ability. Mm. That he, he has worked towards it. And it's not to do with these people, you know, had a tough time being a comic in the first two or three years. It is just, you know, I, I mean... You know, people don't, don't also mistake being a born comic for being effortless comic. I mean, like, Mickey Flanagan is an effortless comic. Mm-hmm. Mickey Flanagan tells material that you sit there and you think, oh, that is brilliant. But you know what? I don't think I could ever deliver it as good as that. Sure. Or, you know, and, and, and also, you look at Mickey as well, and I, I've never had respect for him going, I'm tired because I've watched him even doing an hour and I'm thinking I know a lot of work went into that but you don't look tired yeah I see sound, what you mean you don't yeah. sound any more tired than when you walked off sure you know I sure. remember watching Lee Evans when I was a 15 year old yeah of getting course yeah. <laughs> and he would he would he would have this suit by the end of it it literally kills dish, him every time dishcloth yeah do you know what I mean yeah, be yeah, abs- no. and I would sit there and I'm thinking well, wow, that man's putting everything into it well don't get me wrong Mickey Flanagan's putting everything into it yeah. okay but you can't see it. Sure. You know, no, sure, it's, sure. You know, maybe it's that that whole thing of a duck that's serene above yes, the water yes, and his feet going flat out underneath. Um, but I still don't think I still don't think Mickey Flanagan is a natural comic. I okay. think you have to look more like people like Adam Bloom, mm-hmm. someone who's wired for comedy. Some, you know, Sean Walsh to some extent is someone you look at and you sort of think, if you didn't do this, what the hell would you do? Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Um, but still, possibly not a natural comic because um, he you know he like all of us will sit down and write something I think that's funny and try out and don't mm-hmm. know and, and, and natural comics have just got words come out of their mouth with the metronome of somebody mm-hmm. who's how has to, who has told that joke a hundred times before yeah they, they, they automatically inherit the the fine tuning and experience and uh, and just basic raw timing that the rest of us get through trial and error
0: So, in terms of your own career, at what point did you come to this realisation about yourself? If you said There was presumably a point where you went, quite I'm lo- not going to be a natural. No, quite,
2: quite long into it, actually. Okay. Because so, what, because, what was because, that because, like? because you get confused. Because people come up to you after you have a great gig and go, oh, you're brilliant, you're a natural. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then you go off and think, I'm
0: a natural.
2: <laughs> and then, and then actually, and then eventually, you get to know other comics better. In fact, I mean, if I was, if Stephen now, Stephen Grant, 15 and a half, well, sixteen years of uh, experience, probably by the time by the time he had to say this goes out, was able to travel back in time and talk to Stephen Grant with six months of experience mm. and give him one piece of advice. I mean, there, there would be lots, mm-hmm. but if I could only pick one to give him, it would say, spend more time talking. Uh, and getting to know and and not just competing with and annoying your fellow comics. Mm-hmm. Because watching comedy, you learn as much from comedy as you do doing comedy. I mean, you, you don't learn enough to be able to make you perform, but you learn as much. Uh, and the, another wonderful thing about stand-up comedy's rich tapestry is that people approach it from all angles? Mm. No one ever turns to stand up comic and said, So, uh, drama school from the age of 12, yes, then you know. There's, there's no, there's, there's sure. rich people who gave up to do comedy. There are poor people. There are people who had phenomenal jobs. Mm. There are people who had no jobs and this mm. is their only job. There are people who've got degrees. There are people who've got no education. Mm-hmm. There are people who uh, did this because they have, a, they have a, an urge to be on stage and be seen. They, there's a people who do this despite the fact the last place they would want <laughs> yeah, to be is on right. stage and yeah. being seen. There is no. If you were to draw a kind of... Uh, one of those sort of government diagrams that show people's industries and then put stand-up comedy in a circle in the middle, you could draw a line from everything. Mm. Uh, uh, so there is no... there is no, so, so each one of these people have got a different reason and each of those reasons are valid. Mm. Uh, and if you learn those early on, it gives you this much more... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it gives you a, a much more sort of philosophical approach to the world of stand-up because you go, you know what's them because it's not a path even though it's a career because it's not something where you could turn to someone on one side and say they want to be a stand-up and say okay well these are the steps that you need sure, to do Sure, um, you do have to look at it as a calling to some extent um, and, and the reason why it's a calling is because the idea to do it to the idea to see it through the idea to, to be it has to come from within you because there's no external path that's recognised okay. okay so yeah. so um, the reason why I realised I wasn't a natural comic was because... And, you know, I said this thing about oh, I go back in time and tell myself to talk to other comics sure, around me. Sure, Is I hadn't been paying enough attention to the other people around me who'd been doing stand-up. I was a little bit too wrapped up in myself, wrapped up in my own material, wrapped up in my own job. How do I do this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I should have realised that other people just seen the difference between other people having to work at it and other people that weren't, and they were just arriving with the skills, even though they'd never learnt them. Um... Because it was when I started realising because I sometimes thought that comedy was a little bit unfair when I was way too competitive and I saw people just Comedy is unfair. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is unfair, but it's nowhere near as unfair as music or acting. I mean sure. comedy is a meritocracy. I, I I still maintain that if you are brilliantly funny, yeah. you will be huge. Sure. But I am certain there are brilliantly talented actors and musicians out there who, who are earning nothing yeah, and they will yeah, never yeah, do it. Yeah. Right. So sure. and, and why is comedy like that? Well, partly because not everyone wants to do it. So the so the so the pool of talent is smaller mm-hmm. but mainly because it's really difficult and yeah. once you're at the level that we're at we forget the fact that it's difficult and yes. then you bump into open spots and you see how hard they're trying to get to where we are and then you remember oh yeah this is difficult sure right so, so yeah so the, the reason why I realised is because I started meeting people whose careers were just in complete ascendancy mm-hmm and I tried to work out why you know and at first you think oh why they get luck oh it's because they're young oh they've got skinny jeans oh because they're good looking oh because they've got a better agent than me oh because they got lucky on this oh they got given an award it's awards around right and then you just go oh hang on no the reason is it's because they've got something about them Mm. that they arrived with and they haven't learned." Mm. Uh, and they haven't had to grind out through the trial and error process I described to you right at the beginning. Mm. They've not... When they've walked on stage and they've made a decision, it's more likely to be right than wrong. Mm. It hasn't been like me when it's a toss of a coin and when it's wrong, I had to go off and think That's about very it. That's very home. that difference, you know, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's just... It's just if you ever watch late night poker, which a lot of comics do as well, and you see it on TV, and you see the people who are absolutely top poker players, you know, and the commentators. I think there's a guy called Jesse Man. He goes, "Oh, he's got the skill. He's got the pack. Yeah, the rocket's in his pocket." You know this, right? And you sort of sit there and you think, "But it's a card game. The mm. cards are shuffled, and all the rest of it." And then you realise, well, you know what? It's just nouse. It's just that little bit of I've arrived at the table with what for an unseasoned viewer would look like permanent luck and it's not. It's just a way about them that allows them to know it And once I realised that those people had that, mm-hmm. I, I realised that my path is not that route. But and I reassured myself by pointing out the fact that there are people at the top of the game who don't have that. Okay, because I was gonna say, it was was that a
0: painful experience. I sometimes feel I'm at war with myself in, and I think a lot of us are at war with ourselves as to whether we are whether we should be doing this, you know, whether whether we've actually whether we, we are maybe born comics or not, or maybe we see people that we want to be as good as, and we think I, I can't ever be that, or I want to be that. There's a kind of a war going on, and because it's all about ourselves and it's all focused inwards, it can be a very emotionally painful process. It's almost it's almost like you're describing the point where you thought I want to be amazing at this, and then you thought Oh well, I can't be, and then you thought Oh, no, I can I can do the best I can.
2: Well, was that difficult? Was that did that hurt? Well, to be honest with you, you, you sound a lot more driven than I. do I know it sounds daft because obviously I work (laughs) but but I didn't I I was trying to analyse other people's careers I was just I was looking at other people and saying well why is it that they've got what they've got Uh, taking into account I believe comedy is a meritocracy Um, and I think it's because of that the word X Factor has been buggered by the X Factor. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. ultimately, it's that. Ultimately, it's that. that, um, that look. And, then, and then it does come down to things that people are a bit more cynical about. Like, are you the right person at the right time? You know, I saw, I saw someone, a, a seasoned journalist recently write on Twitter, would Sarah Millican be as successful if it wasn't for her uh, Geordie accent? Sure. Right. And I just thought, well, that's a little harsh for an extremely hardworking, extremely talented woman. And mm-hmm. then I thought, OK, well, let's but let's look at the question subjectively. If she wasn't, would she be as successful? Mm. And nobody really can say hand on heart that that is definitely the case. Mm. No one can really say hand on heart that with the whole package all together, if you were to take one element out, sure. that from a point of view of the science of comedy... Should make no difference mm-hmm. Though admittedly uh, Regional accents Do tend to make things funnier Sure um, Would that make her Any less successful And the answer is It could make no difference Or it can make all the difference Sure Right But because It wouldn't make any difference To how funny she was no. Or how
0: hard working she was But it
2: might make a difference To the the available opportunities We don't have parallel universes But the only way That we you might would be do. more certain Well you know, <laughs> <laughs> And in that one I'm absolutely nailing this podcast <laughs> Right Um <laughs> um, But if there was By point of reference Another female comic From the same background On the industry right now Who had everything that she had Work ethic Drive, ability Skill uh, But didn't have an Asian accent And was going nowhere You could go Aha right that is definitely the case you know sure. um, but that's but that's that's not how it works that's not yes. how it works and um, okay. so so you know the level below the the, um, the natural ability the level below the meritocracy um, there is an argument that you 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 tick a box that you you fill a gap that the industry has been looking for that, yes. you know when people talk about Ava Vidal and Andy Osho and, sure. and, and, and they're unfairly compared because ultimately mm. what they're they are they're very different acts they're very different acts and they're also just comics like the rest of us Mm -hmm. right but because one both of them are good looking female black performers Mm -hmm. you know automatically people get that comparison why did they get that comparison automatically because take those two away and there isn't anybody you can really think of that is a, a, an emerging mm. good looking black female comic whereas we are white middle class mm. home counties we are fodder sure right we are sure. we're in the event of a war all right mm. Andy Osho and Abba Vidal are in the major's office arguing strategy while we are in the trenches okay, <laughs> okay. having grenade we are we are literally filling up the background okay we are we are the majority um, and so when you're in that position like us you can be quite and I believe quite unfairly, okay, this this is this is not an argument I'm making because I believe it. it's an argument I'm making because I think this is made too often. Sure. I right? Yeah. Right. You can be quite unfairly sitting there thinking, well of course those people have got that because they are ticking that box. Sure. Right? Um, but underlying all of this is that it is a meritocracy. Yes. There is nobody there, right, who isn't there on merit and this is why when someone turns to me and goes oh that Jack White oh I absolutely hate him he's shit and I go (laughs) you know what there is nothing wrong with what you said there except the bit at the end and what you need to say is I think he's shit not yeah. he's shit one of them's an opinion the yeah. other one is a statement sure and I'll, I'll explain to you why he isn't shit and the reason yeah. why he isn't shit is because he wouldn't have got to where he was and where he was oh yeah but he's a really he's just young and all the girls looking which, trust yeah. me there are good looking blokes yeah, all over good. the world yeah. who aren't famous who aren't successful yeah. who haven't got talent alright okay. trust me there, there is talent sure. and ability there sure um, what we're hearing is the manifestation of jealousy yeah but because, because why wouldn't you be jealous of someone that talented good looking and, and, and capable uh, and also an, a, and a failure to understand why people succeed in this industry mm-hmm. and that's the weirdest thing about comedy if, if you look though if you look at someone like
0: Mickey Flanagan, yeah who was floating around at the top of the circuit being brilliant for years and then suddenly went stratospheric surely the way you're describing things in in this case that you know he he wouldn't have got stratospheric he wouldn't have got massive without being uh, without being as brilliant as he is mm. but do you also think that there are there are people you know there are people on the circuit who are brilliant but not stratospheric for whom it isn't quite happening as much take Tom Stade for example Tom's absolutely fantastic he's not He's not suddenly become As famous or popular or successful as Mickey mm. He's not selling out Wembley Arena No So how does that fit Into that system Of, of understanding I mean is it just well, that Mickey's There's very, also luck
2: I mean at that level At Mickey's level You've also got to be Good at the job you know, and I don't mean saying Tom's not good at the job. But I'm just saying, but Mickey plays the game. He's 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 in the right places doing the right tours, getting the right PR uh, agent, making the right decisions. You sure. know, it's it, it, the other. Sure, but like the like other agent the making j- the right decisions—that's out of Mickey's hands. That's out of you know what I mean. From the but point point still, you- Mickey still, Mickey still appoints the agent. You know, like sure. as, as Dave Gorman has said repeatedly to comics, agents work for you, not the other way around yeah, you okay. know, if your agent's not doing the right thing, uh, then you get rid of the agent and you get a new agent, or you go it alone. I and mean, it's not impossible sure. in this industry. I, I suppose what I'm getting at is. Do you think
0: luck plays a part, or is it purely American? you don't think luck plays any part at all? Uh, uh, no, I, I think luck. Pa-
2: right. Uh, like, like was, no, no, okay, this, this is not about visualising your success and going, I know I will be there. But I think luck affects mostly these things. It affects the rate at which you get the success you achieve, uh, you deserve. Yeah. The rate. Okay. So, um, so it might be that we have this conversation in two years, and
0: Tom State has just sold out Wembley
2: Arena. Look, take Andy Murray, right? Right now, the Australian Open's on. Right now, I mean, by the time the podcast comes out, it might be over. I don't know. But the upshot of it is, is that he won a Grand Slam on merit. Mm -hmm. He was unlucky that it took him five goes. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. So his ability is Grand Slam winner. His luck was bad luck that it took him better part four okay. years right okay. uh, so, same for Mickey Flanagan Mickey Flanagan always had that ability mm-hmm. surprised people you know and you say suddenly and I what well, doesn't seem suddenly to me sure you know there was two- year period when he was coming doing gigs and he was brilliant and then yeah. he was too good for the gig and then he wasn't doing the gig because he was doing something better sure. and then that, that thing he was doing better he was brilliant at and then uh, it was you know yeah. I, I didn't feel like suddenly to me sure. it, it just felt like his progress hadn't been hadn't been checked Sure. You know, it, it just felt. I was like just meaning so sudden
0: from the point of view of the last time I did a gig with him on the circuit to to the fact he was to the time he was a household name. For me, that period uh, uh, that period happened within sort of three years from, and that's what happened fast to happen for Sarah as well. I would say
2: yes. However, um, it doesn't take long to be offered a bit of work. Sure. Right. Sure. Uh, and it doesn't take long to be offered something slightly better if you do really well at it. Of course. Right. So they, it's not quick for these people. Yeah. It, they they're just they're just progressing um, through doing really well at each job at that at that level. We would all progress that quickly if every time we were given a job we were not just good at it yeah. but brilliant at it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't believe it's not like you know, you, get, you sometimes get um, people in the audience come up to you after gigs if, you, if it's somewhere where they've seen you a lot of times. And obviously I'm, that happens to me a lot because I've got the gig in Brighton and people come up to me and go, oh, you're always here, do you have this way? Well, you know, just waiting for your lucky break. Mm-hmm.
1: It's,
2: yeah, it could be luck that somebody's in the audience at that point in time and they give me a fuck up. Like, like for example, I mean, Sean Walsh, who i vote very well and I write with him, uh, got onto Mock the Week because um, the people who book Mock the week sent someone down to Brighton to see Zoe Lyons, who's Mm -hmm. been on it a few times, and Sean just so happened to be doing 10 minutes that night. Mm -hmm. Just so happened, you know. And those are the bits in the industry where other comments go, how lucky is that, right? Trust me, he would have been on it. It just would have taken a little bit longer. Yeah, All luck does is affect the rate at which you get to where you get to. You were saying before, it sounded like there was a list. You said
0: luck affects the rate at which your success happens,
2: and Mm. then we digressed on that. What were the other components? Um, As in what else are luck affects? Yes. Well, I mean... (laughs) well actually I've been brutally honest luck affects the other things in your life which will then affect your comedy yes um, you know I have a very well publicised like internationally publicised divorce uh, <laughs> yeah, well, You would you consider unlucky you, you were publicising it internationally you? <laughs> no no I was, actually Dan, let's be brutally honest with this. I publicised this locally yeah. I told my local paper because I had a local gig coming up at the Brighton Comedy Festival yeah. and then a press, in, a press agency sold that story internationally Okay, sorry. When so, you said
0: you publicised internationally, I thought you meant you'd been on gigs such as the one we're currently in, in Doha, in Qatar. Oh, I well, know. Well, and you're talking about it on stage. No, I'm in
2: no, no, Don't talk about it that often, to be honest, if at all, really. Just because, ironically, I don't have particularly good jokes about it, considering <laughs> it's such a monumental thing. Um, and I was, you know, you could say that the, the luck you had in your life elsewhere... Uh, yeah. Affects your comedy, but but you know, I still believe that you are ninety five percent in charge of your own life anyway. So that's mm-hmm. that's what happens. So 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 luck, external influences, you know. And for every single comic, the the, the Jimmy Carrs, Mickey Flanagan's, Sarah Millican's, uh Jack Whitehall's, Russell Howard's, you know, um even even that kind of one level below where with very established acts but maybe not household names are uh, Mark Watson's, mm. even Stephen Merchant to some extent. It, it, look at their success, mm. right? And I promise you there is there is something that's happened in their personal life that they, they've either had to forego or let let fall by the wayside. There there has been large chunks of just day to day life that because they're such determined Single, focused, narrow-minded—not well narrow-minded—that sounds a bit negative—but sort of sure. narrow-focused individuals. Yes. They—they—they've had to forego, yeah. You know, uh, and you know, coming back to something you said about twenty minutes ago, when you said, "Oh, you know, that these, maybe these people, you know, what's the difference between Tom Stade and, and Mickey Flanagan?" You know, and, and and I'd say, from the point of view of actual raw talent, probably nothing. What defines success for you? And are you happy with your lot? Well, I'm desperately happy with my lot in as much as I have a wonderful life outside of comedy now. Which I, and there was, a, there was a, a large chunk of my comedy career when I thought the two couldn't live alongside each other. There was a large chunk of my comedy career when I looked at things not going well outside of comedy and thought that's because of comedy.
0: Yeah.
2: Because to, to achieve what you do even at our level now, we've had to give up something or, or work very hard on, on something that yeah. that means we've had to prioritise what other people wouldn't. Bearing in mind this started as a hobby... Sure, you know there was a time when the hobby became a career, but what do hobbies and careers have in common that you can be obsessed with them <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so so clearly, there was a, a undercurrent of obsession running throughout the whole thing so 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 what happens is is you get the, the, the comic comes off, has a great gig and all the rest of it, and then he's really really miserable, and you're think, "Oh, that might be because he's a manic depressive, and that's what comics are though why they're not maybe the rest of their life is shit. Because that's what they had to do in order to become great comedy. Yes. Okay. Or, or maybe it's what they felt they had to do. Yes. But I know as many really established comics now, who are perfectly happy in their day-to-day life, yep. as I know ones who are troubled. Yes. Right. So that is a fallacy to think that the two go hand in hand. The, the problem is, is that when you have success in one and failure in the other, you automatically, as a human being, have you blame, a, blame a you, blame, yeah, yeah, them. Yeah, you blame them in between flip side of the coin as well you know if someone's having a really sort of normal life but their comedy's not going anywhere they think you know what I'm spending too much time on this I should spend more time on the comedy they they will and comics are terrible for that comics will quite literally harpoon a perfectly happy life (laughs) in order to take risks with their career despite there being no guarantees that it will make any difference I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about (laughs)
0: So this is Stephen Grant and I have to say I had no idea his approach to comedy was so scientific. It's fascinating to hear someone deal with the, the various challenges of the circuit and of the job, with such a reasoned, evidence-based analysis of what works and what doesn't work for him. It's brilliant. Stephen's going to walk us through the creation and the development of one of his favourite new jokes, uh, as well as going into detail of the different techniques he uses when writing with other acts, with specific reference there to Sean Walsh and Russell Kane, uh, as well as Simon Brodkin, a.k.a. Lee Nelson. Uh, and there's even more from this. We, we talked for ages, as you'll hear me and Stephen were on uh, an internet national gig together this was recorded in Qatar and uh, we've got bags of additional stuff so there's about 35 minutes available to download for free at www.comedianscomedian.com backslash steven that's Stephen with a ph in which mr grant will be discussing the frustrating period where he felt he couldn't move up in the industry without a more clearly defined persona and his solution to that challenge Uh, he'll be talking about his note-taking system his approach to international gigs and he also goes into a lot of detail on the pros and cons Of running one's own club in his case the excellent Crater Comedy uh, the Comedia in Brighton and in Bath so if you're thinking about setting up your own club you would be well advised to to give that a listen Uh, and even if you're not really fascinating stuff from uh, from a a real insider in the industry in lots of different ways so uh, it's very nearly your last chance to buy tickets for James Acaster on Wednesday the 6th of February that's next Wednesday now and uh, and I can stop banging on about it because it'll have happened Um, one lucky listener wins a free ticket because they correct Correctly deduced the answer to the cryptic crossword I set you. And I'm pleased to tell you that the winner is Mr. Dan Fouracre. So he wins a ticket for next Wednesday night, having correctly worked out that the answer was Stu Goldsmith. Uh, sorry for putting myself in the, uh, in the as a clue as an answer. But uh, I was going on holiday and I was quite giddy. And so just to go through that very quickly for the nerds among you. uh, Messed up is an anagram of guts. That's S-T-U-G. Senior is old. A metal worker is a smith. And thanks to the cancellation of a kid's sci-fi TV show I did, I am in fact a discontinued cyborg. So thanks to Dan, uh, you win a ticket. And more importantly, the respect of your peers, I imagine. Uh, Now, back to Stephen Grant. Let's, um, let's talk about uh, analysis let's talk about process as it applies to your writing okay because you are uh, you, you are like we've said you're someone that thinks about it all the time mm. you breathe comedy you know and you mm. do in the work that you do you, you write with other people
2: you write for other people but let's focus for the moment on the know, writing you do I, I know I breathe comedy do you know why because it's tax return time <laughs> and then every time my accountant looks <laughs> at what does and he goes well, all your phone calls and travel can't all be comedy sure you're doing other stuff and you're going no, I'm not doing other stuff. <laughs> no, I have that argument. Surely, surely at least 20%. There's got to be something else in your 20, life, Stephen. 20% no. of your phone calls have got to be just to friends asking how they are. No. No. any idea? It's ridiculous. Anyway, yeah, go on. So, let, well, let's talk about the, the process.
0: What One of the things I'm interested in is the journey from an idea to the page or the computer to the stage so let's go how do you how do you start what, what's
2: your current favourite bit of material and let's work backwards and see where that came from um, I, you know what I've never done it working backwards I can tell you working forwards oh cool I'm whatsoever. Forward. no I'm going to try doing it working backwards uh, because it's much funnier then because at least you hear the joke then you're interested in it and you find out how it goes because if you do it forwards <laughs> yeah you already know the then you already know the joke yeah, yeah so the current joke and and I did it last night on stage and it's probably only about the 5th or 6th time I've done it now and I think I've just about got it right and it's about the fact that my baby boy has got a cold uh, but I found out that children can't clear their own nostrils until they're 2 years old up until then Mm -hmm. they've just got a blocked nose and they can't breathe it makes it really hard for them to sleep and so I'm asking the doctor how to clear the his nose, and sure. he said, "What you need to do is suck it out." So I get one of these little things, these devices to suck it out. And it doesn't work. And I said, "Well, look, it's not working. What should I do?" And he goes, "No, you misunderstand me. You have to suck it out." And so I think, well, you know what? I love my baby boy. You know, this is all about being a dad. I've got to make decisions and do things I didn't used to have to do. So, I cover his mouth. I put my mouth over his nose, <laughs> suck all the snot out. You know, and I did that because I love him. Of course, if I really loved him, I would have swallowed. <laughs> right now, that's a joke. Very obvious. People were screaming at that last night. Yeah, Just absolutely. Yeah, good. don't don't let this piss poor delivery onto a podcast in any way <laughs> from the quality no, of that game. No, no,
0: no, they'll be steering off the road <laughs>
2: <laughs> Right, so anyway I um, so there's the joke um, and, and then with the topper, which I'm still experimenting with right now, and he goes and when people are going, oh that's horrible and I'm going well, you say that, I'm just more worried about when he becomes constipated mm-hmm. Okay, so good sort of topper joke there so let's go back a bit well first of all, that's not how I've told it the first three, the three or four times before it the th- Times I've said before, it there's been a little bit less padding. Now I don't usually like padding in a joke, but it's needed padding because the first time I told it, I said my boat boy had a blocked nose, and the doctor said I had to suck it out with my mouth. Mm-hmm. So I said there, and I get a Urgh, yes, I right, see. okay. Because what I've done there is I've set uh, the setup yeah. has got a mental image which yes. is horrible. Yes, so course. the people have been switched off to the point of view of comedy. Yeah, and I said so I did it <laughs> like that, and at that point they're going oh, too much information, yes, and he goes yes. you know, and I did that because I love him. Uh, of course, if I really loved him, would have swallowed. But not got as much of a laugh then because too many people have got too graphic a mental image, yep. and the natural thing you do in that situation is you switch off.
0: Yes, you know, and also so it's detached. The, the cliffs are a bit too close together there as well because if you're immediately saying to begin with that you suck it out, then you're you're using up that reaction
2: that. I don't want that reaction. In, yeah. I'm trying to find a way of doing the joke without the reaction. You know okay. that the, the, the reaction of disgust is taking people off Funny Street and is putting them on Disgust I understand, Street, right? I understand. Okay, it's too, they're too close together. Yeah. So I had to put something before it. You know. So I had to. Um, so that was how the joke existed before. And then the topper was much more horrible because I used to say, "Yeah." And he goes, "You think that's bad?" The following week, he was constipated. Yeah. I would have been brushing my teeth for a fortnight. Oh. Okay. God. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm
1: even more disgusted. You
2: worked in the industry. So there you go. So there you go. So, you go. so, they got, so I've got the root of a good joke, but the delivery not been. There, so there's been three or four goes, and again, this goes back to the how I started out in okay. comedy. I think a natural comic would know how to say this in yeah. such a way that the, that the audience weren't disgusted. Okay, sure. so I'm telling it each night. Mm-hmm. The, the, the joke is strong enough that it gets a laugh regardless, mm-hmm. but it, the difference between it being a, a, an okay laugh and an amazing laugh is all going to be in that setup. It's all about where you've put people's heads just before you hit the punch. Okay, so where, where does it go before then? Well, before then, like a lot of comics' ideas, it's based on truth. Mm-hmm he has got a blocked nose I did once have to suck it out I found that out not because the doctor told me because the doctor is a a dramatic inference it wasn't a doctor Um, uh, we googled it yeah you know it's just but googled it's not nowhere near yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the I went to the doctor with his block nose and you know what he said to me I don't a, know and there was an explosion in the background I you was,
0: can't imagine how many if comedians were forced to tell the truth how many setups would involve so I was googling X the other day <laughs> you know but it, that's uh, absolutely that's not a yeah
2: yeah exactly um, yeah exactly I was googling everything you've heard yeah as a setup. And I've done the punchlines first. But normally you'll come up with the punchline first, then you'll get good. So we're going back. So truth is the basis of this one. Yeah. Okay. Um, And, oh, and this will be good for your podcast as well. Me then coming up with the idea behind it and putting it as a tweet on Twitter. Okay. And then getting response. And I will put my hand up and say the idea for the constipation Mm -hmm. came from a couple of replies, including Jenny Eclair. He replied yeah. to me saying said to me I said um, he said you can't use that technique when they're constipated yeah you know, it nice. uh, I had the idea of constipation before then but nowhere near as clever this this whole idea I just had this whole idea of the fact that um, um, uh, my original idea was the whole idea of the fact that you would that You both feeding and helping a baby would involve just blowing it in and sucking it back out again. You know that effectively the baby was like a, a massive bagpipe, yeah. right? That was my initial idea, but it was way too graphic, way too complicated. I didn't use it, and then and then she and then when when you see a joke on a tweet, by the way, it's mm. automatically sharp because it's only 140 yeah. characters, you know. You know, there's not many flabby jokes on Twitter. There's some, but they're not hugely flabby. Anyway, so, um, so I had the idea and I wrote it on Twitter and then people came back. Before then, where did the actual joke come from? Where did the whole idea of he's got a blocked nose, you suck it out, come from? Uh, and that's horrible. Well, the thought of it, because when you're tuned into the world of comedy you tend to look at everything as a sitcom or a comic film mm. or a punchline and you say things with the metronome of comedy and it, you, just, you just live that environment. Mm. I'm not saying you have to do that in order to be funny, but really successful comics don't ever switch off more than 80%, I'd say. Sorry. I remember
0: meeting daro O'Brien for the first time at Ben Norris's birthday party and we were having a chat about street performing, in fact. Uh, and uh, he said something, and even at the level he was at, even when he's you know hosting Mock the Week and all the rest of it, we just something came up in conversation, and he went, Oh, is, is that is that funny? Yeah. Hold hold on. Sorry. And then he got out his BlackBerry and he made a note of it. Of course. Yeah. You know, at a birthday party at one in the morning. Yes, because if you don't,
2: because he, uh, let me tell you to all those people listening right now who aren't comics or aren't involved in the world of comic comedy, um, if you have come up with a really funny idea and you don't write it down there and then, what you remember later on is the fact that you came up with yeah, a funny that's idea that's but not it. any of the content Yeah, because what I, you, I, have, I, I, you have you have a moment of inspiration and then you have a 10 second warm glow of oh I've just thought something great and that's the bit you remember yeah. useless yeah, I've never managed to come up with
0: uh, a, you'd think there'd be some sort of Darren Brown-esque memory pegging system mm. for ideas whereby you could mm. you could slot it into some I'm sure someone like Paul Sinner mm. could slot it
2: into something in his memory palace or whatever it is but no, I've never been able to do that. Um, and the idea of if you really loved them they'd swallow was an idea that I had while telling, talking to Nick Page another right. comic. Again this 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 thing that we told myself years ago is talk to other comics it's amazing what you can do I've given toppers to loads of comics mm, jokes mm. and you know extra ideas for people's jokes and I've gone one. you put that in your act and I've never thought oh you know give me some money for it that was ridiculous it's mm. you know it's big big community you know we should we should work together like that um and likewise you know that's happened to me as well coming back the other way but typically um it will be just ideas <laughs> So, um, so that, that's 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 my system. It's an extension on writing down a bits of paper. You absolutely should do it on a phone or on a computer, and you should always do it with something that has the cloud access, uh, so that it actually it, it automatically updates. Sure, it because sure. so we've got to back up. Don't no no one in the, no one ever remembers to back up, especially if you're a comic and you're trying to think of jokes. You know, do something that automatically backs up, so you never lose it. Losing jokes is a horrible
0: feeling. Do you ever write by starting with an idea where nothing has already occurred to you and trying to pull things out of that idea, or do you always go from the this occurs to me turn it into a joke do you ever sit down and write okay well to use an example that Josh Whittacombe talks about in the podcast do you ever think okay right it's Christmas coming up let's think of Christmas things mistletoe you write down the word mistletoe and try and find funny stuff about it or is it always the other way
2: Uh, well I've got two modes of writing one of them is Edinburgh show and one of them is Circuit, and obviously, there's crossover because you've got an audience trying to be funny, and sometimes you write stuff for an Edinburgh show and end up in your circuit routines. Sometimes you write circuit routines that will end up in your Edinburgh show. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea of start with an idea what's funny about that is my Edinburgh show writing method. Gotcha, because I don't feel constrained when writing an Edinburgh show. If I end up with an observation that I think is three or four minutes long but is peppered with interesting facts, that's absolutely fine for Edinburgh. I don't mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's too conceited and too selfish to do that in a circuit environment when people have paid for comedy for to hear something shat, snappy
0: sure just to, as a sort of contrary view do you think that in an Edinburgh show then you have the time to do that or would you, would you what I'm saying is would you not want in an Edinburgh show to go out there with an hour of club
2: funny stuff I think short, the problem with, home there's club nothing club wrong with stuff. doing an hour of club funny stuff in Edinburgh but you will be absolutely massacred by the uh, critics mm. because that's not what Edinburgh's about and, and rightly so because they can see that the 11 months of the year elsewhere Right. Okay. Um, And secondly, why would you do that? Why? 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 Why have a buffet restaurant? And obviously, while we're in the the Middle East, clearly (laughs) fresh, but why have a massive buffet and just eat bread? I mean, that's this is it. You've got to you've got to expand to the the, to the breadth of the of the format in front of you. And Edinburgh gives you the opportunity to do why wilder, wider. Ideas and concepts don't turn up in Edinburgh with the stuff that works everywhere else. There's nothing wrong with it, but what's the point? What's the point? You, did, you surely know? the
0: point is to, to go up there, and you know this is your chance to get noticed, and you want there to be you want to
2: not be able to put a playing card in between all hey, the punchlines. I am very career in many ways, but I, I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to Edinburgh as well. If you're going up to Edinburgh in order to forge your career to show the best of what you do. Right, to be the snappiest and sharpest and, and, you know, and, and treat it as a trade fair that's absolutely fine you're paying through the nose for it that is totally your prerogative but think about this from a comedy perspective where else and when else will you be able to do the fabulous ideas you have that you dismiss the other 11 months of the year because they won't work on the circuit what a shame to have all those brilliant thoughts pop into your head and never have an outlet for them mm. You know that, that, that is for me the tragedy of Edinburgh is that those concepts are dying off. But thankfully, there is still a, a, a core of reviewers and festival-goers who want to see that, mm. right? They want to see those ideas. I think it's a shame sometimes that people get pigeonholed. I, it took me a long time going to Edinburgh. People go, well, he's a circuit compare." Yeah. You know, wh- why would we want to go and see an air sure, of his stuff? Sure. You know, and then I would start a show with people walking into a dark room, looking at a blank screen... Right, where a computer screen come up and said hello everybody mm-hmm. appear and they think they're watching a video so people just sit there and go you can say hello back people could gingerly go hello and I go so hello the guy in the front row in the blue jumper mm-hmm. and then people go okay what the fuck's going on here mm-hmm. and of course I've hidden in the crowd mm-hmm. out of the light with a wireless keyboard on my lap and I'm talking to the crowd from a computer attached to a projector on the screen right and I do my compare banter yeah. in type speed yeah. to the people in the crowd and they'd love it and it's just this is out of the world could I do that on the circuit of course not right sure. could, you know uh, could I do it in a one man show yes and I have done and I've videoed it and I've put it on a DVD very proud of it my idea talk to the crowd as if you're grooming them on the internet mm-hmm. and what's great about it is you can make jokes like you would normally do and then you can go back and delete other things you said right? <laughs> like what happens is <laughs> I'm brilliant you know so you talk to a girl and you are the prettiest person in this room by far yeah. you know like this right talk to another girl you are the prettiest I'm going to say, curse, up. curse <laughs> up, grab the other line, delete it, come yeah, back amazing. in this world By far, yeah, lovely, bold, right? You know, and then and then another one as well. And then I'm chatting to people, and he goes, "What the fuck do you do?" You, you know, this is it. And he goes, "Oh, can you? Hello, I am over here. Look at the fucking computer like this, right? Hello, the, the little girl. Well, how old are you? Twelve. Search and replace fucking for bloody. Oh, right, this is amazing! It. So, it's so kind of like you know, these are jokes about people talking yeah. online you can't do that anywhere else I've had that idea for ages it took me a long time to set it up technically Mm. all the rest of it great probably not going to win an award for it probably not going to even get you know that's not going to make any difference to my career kudos Mm. definitely sense of personal satisfaction off the scale Mm. really proud as proud of that as anything else I've done Mm. because it was an idea that I had that had no opportunity opportunity to make it work anywhere else arrive at Edinburgh with it if it didn't work <laughs> find something to replace it pretty quick mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so so yeah so um, from the point of view of the writing process when it comes to an Edinburgh show yes I would it, Whittaker-esque write the word mistletoe mm. draw lots of lines around it and try to work out what's funny about it you know Josh oh, right. will be very pleased to hear that described as Widdicombe-esque
0: but uh, just yeah. to take the sting out of that even having asked the question myself five minutes ago when you said Widdicombe-esque I did immediately think what does Anne Widdicombe do about it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
2: Sorry Josh <laughs> I bet Josh absolutely detest the fact that his surname's got that um, yeah. Well maybe that's what drives him is to become <laughs> a bigger <Whittacombe. laughs> Well
0: Let's talk about writing with other acts And for other acts Because you're someone Who has got a huge Now I'm not asking you To name people Unless you know That you're able to do that Because mm. there is a lot Of mystery involved With you know Helping other people Going down as a Program associate Rather than a writer Things like that mm. So I'm not asking you To spill any beans You don't feel comfortable Spilling But I know that you Write with And well, for I, I, lots of other people So well, which I, of those Can you tell us about and I can tell
2: systems? you I can tell you about Pretty much all of them And mm. the reason why I can tell them About all of them Is because it would be A lie of me to say I write their stuff. Sure, I write with people at the most. Um, yes, I write whole jokes that they will say, mm-hmm. but those are not me sat in a room of my own, emailing them over to them and then saying thanks, invoice me. Sure, right. So I am not doing other people's work for them. I'm channeling the work they're doing. I'm sitting with them and I'm, I'm working very hard mm. on taking their ideas and turning them into jokes at the first instance. But it's an extension of what I've been doing for years as a interfering smart-ass talking to <laughs> comics at a gig and saying, you know what you could do with this? You know what you could do with this? Yeah. You know what you could do this? And you said, that, you said doing that was what got you into writing for other people? Well, I think doing that is what made me realise I'd be good at writing for okay. other people. Okay. Uh, this is... Ne- I have... Like all advances in my career, be it the gigs I run, the gigs I do, the stuff I've done, it's all been proactive. No one has ever phoned me up out of the blue and said, Do you fancy doing that? And I thought oh, that'd be a good idea. Mm. This is me being sitting on my own going, you know what, I should do that. Yeah. You know. And the first person I wrote with and the person I've written the most with is Simon Brodkin and that was as a result of me watching his quite a good show and watching how he banters with the crowd and I thought this is really similar to how I do it. It's it's taking the piss but it's done with so much charm that no one's genuinely offended. Mm. And also it's snappy and yeah. funny, yeah. outright. He doesn't need to take time to build up a story, he gets the joke initially, yeah. he then extends it, and then, and then who's laughing the most in the crowd at that point in time? The person he's talking to. Mm-hmm. It's not them not laughing and everybody else is. Sure. Everyone's sure. laughing, but the person he's talking to is he's, laughing most. He's
0: ferociously talented and driven, and all those things. I remember doing Open Spots with Simon where I was just baffled at how fast he was thinking
2: yeah but then I saw similarities with myself and I thought well you know what I'm not going to be doing what Simon's doing mm-hmm. um, but I can definitely probably work alongside him mm-hmm. so I wrote him an email and I, said, I just said look um, do, you, do you fancy doing some writing together because I, I honestly think I can add value to what you're doing because I think there's similarities and, and he went and he came back to me eventually and he said well it'll come in do half a day and Mm-hmm. if you don't mind I won't pay you for it but if mm-hmm. I use any of your stuff then I will mm-hmm. so okay so, uh, so I did and then he did use some of it and it's fine and then it was an extra day here an extra couple of days here and then it was four days here five days here two weeks here three weeks mm-hmm. here you know, and, and just sort of snowballed from there really and he's written with other people as well uh, uh, but I think he's got a very exacting method mm. uh, you said and, he's one of the most disciplined people that you write with disciplined um, on two levels mm-hmm. firstly because there's very little wastage mm. in his writing and there is a lot of wastage in comedy writing. There's a lot of time spent doing stuff that never really turns into anything because it's never quite good enough. Or you think it's brilliant in the writing room, you go out and do it and it dies on its hull. Mm-hmm. Right, you know. Um, and normally with Simon, I write the darker jokes and Simon goes, they hated me. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> you bastard. That's right. Um, and, um, uh, and, and also because... Right, OK, there are courses how to learn comedy out there in the world. But actually... Whereas there are certain techniques To do with performing That everyone should learn About where you hold yourself Where you put your eyes Holding the microphone stand Not talking when you put it in Because it makes lots of noise All sorts of things You learn over time Uh, Actually nobody says And this is how you write comedy Mm -hmm. You learn on your own And quite right so too Because if everybody learned How to write comedy Then we'd be in America Mm -hmm. And that is the biggest problem I have with American comedy Is that the formula extends To the creation of it Not just the performing of it Um, And and, uh, it, it, they're more in the world of, uh, of sitcom and, and you know and sketch but ultimately stand up is so diverse in this country because nobody's ever been t- taken to one side and told how to write it mm-hmm. so I turn up and I have to learn and quickly another comics established and proven because they're successful sure. way of writing stand up sure. Okay, uh, and in the case of Simon Brocken it's enormously disciplined it's extremely focused and it's relentless and by relentless I mean you know I make sure that I've had a poo before we start writing Yeah, because we might not have time mm-hmm. um, and um, and I love it because the time goes very quickly you know like like in any job where you really apply yourself but um, I mean I would have taken pictures of it but I, I think he's a little bit funny about it but we're sat in a room and every time he says something it gets written on a whiteboard gets written on a whiteboard the whiteboard runs out of space it gets written on a post-it node gets stuck around the whiteboard mm. and then he'll write stuff down on the sheets of A4 and then that will be blue tacked around the wall we all mm. you know 360 degree wallpapered room mm-hmm. within two days mm-hmm. of ideas and jokes and then they all get copied onto post-it notes and then their post-it notes get put on an A1 piece of paper in the middle of the desk mm-hmm. and then he keeps getting moved around until he gets the order right okay. and then he looks at it from a distance and he goes right I'm doing that and then he rolls it up yeah. goes to a gig that night which is going to be full because it's him
1: mm-hmm.
2: he rolls that out on a, pit, on a table mm-hmm. and he talks off it looks at it remembers the idea gets up says it Right, so he's never reading off a piece of paper. He remembers okay. it from earlier on in the day. Okay. I mean, his ability to learn material is is out there. I mean, have a look at have a look at the TV show. God, he's he's written most of it, mm-hmm. as well as performing it, as well as learning it, and he's got his hand in the directing and all the rest of it. He, he's an advert for seeing your own vision through. Mm-hmm. Um, the only problem is, is, that I don't know how the hell he has time to breathe. I mean, the bloke mm-hmm. barely sleeps and mm-hmm. he works. Yeah, I thought I worked quite hard. And then I met him and I went, oh, okay, all right, maybe not that. Um, um, and um, and what do I do I, I, he has an idea I'll add a joke to it I'll have an idea he'll have a joke to it but with with Simon and this is maybe unique to him although maybe people do it there are three stages to a joke mm-hmm. there's the idea and the concept and usually an idea of how it's going to end there's fleshing it out with the actual uh, the actual joke turning it into a routine mm-hmm. and then there's the finessing mm-hmm. there's that that word comes out. That word moves there. This bit superfluous to the setup. That one can refer back to that setup. The, what I would call the what you do on Twitter to make a joke good to brilliant. Sure. With the just the, the really the sat there with the electron microscope taking the corners off stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Now when I write with Simon, he does the first and the third bit, and I do the second bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the first bit the actual the inspiration the having the idea and having a sense of where it's going to go mm. arguably the, taking away the second and third parts the finesse the alterations or mm. the rest of it that's kind of the crucible
2: isn't it that's the that's the where the joke comes yeah. from well that's the thing he's had a go with writing other people and they've just done really horrible stuff about Chav stealing things and the rest of it and he goes well no the whole idea of Lee Nelson Lee Nelson is a reformed character he's mm. from that industry there's a class element to it there's a social element to it. but he's a good guy because he has to be a good guy. Because ultimately, he got sat there listening to a, in a room, listening to a, an hour to a bloke you hate. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to do that. So, mm-hmm. so it, it, you know, you've got to have. You, he's got
0: to be lovable rogue. Yes, he's charming, isn't he? He's naive <coughs> about some things. He's crafty about others. Yeah,
2: absolutely lovable rogue, right? But you have to learn a lot to learn what you're not knowledgeable about. So. So what someone says they're from Sheffield you need to know a lot about Sheffield so we can know what he doesn't know about Sheffield. Sure. Right. You know sure. so we write a routine sure, about that. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah, great. Right. So um, so 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 each so, you those those ideas. I'm going to come up with some of those ideas with him but they will come from him mm-hmm. because he's a character and an excellent character and and in the mind of that character and then be able to do it. um and it's hilarious because you watch this process and you, you you see how many hours go into it and they're finessing it, and then it, you know it'll appear on TV and then you look at the comments and they will just go, Oh it's just a bloke just being a chav, isn't it?" I yeah. see, see that at the bottom of my street all the day. I mean, yeah. where's the skill in that? Yeah, <laughs> and he sit there. There is some, I promise. You know, so that's you know that's Simon, but I mean, but it, but but that's unique to him. I had to learn very quickly his method of writing, and mm. it's uh, you know, and he wouldn't say that to me, but that's how I understand it to sure, be. Right? Sure, Thank Um you. Uh, and then you know, writing with Sean Walsh. Sean Walsh is your classic how people think comics, right? You get together in the pub, you have a pint, you talk mm. about something, you cry loads about laughing, and then you remember to write bits of it down, mm. and then mm. you try and talk it, turn it into a routine. Uh, Sean has grown up watching me doing comedy, which is very odd. Yes. So his methods are quite similar to mine. Yes. Okay. But uh, so he still writes verbatim uh-huh. rather than notes. In other words, we write word for word what the joke, mm-hmm. how the joke looks. Less so for Simon, to be honest. Um, because once he knows how a joke works he doesn't need a written verbatim yes, because he's, okay. he's, he's, a, he's a memory bank for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Sean will then do the flourishes that turn it into a great routine mm-hmm. um, but also he's very much he's very McIntyre you know he wants his observations to be stuff that everybody knows Yes, he absolutely does has no interest in stuff that he needs to explain mm-hmm. if he needs to explain something it's not worth doing Okay. So, okay. so if it's if it's how stupid someone looks when they bump their head when they get off the bus, mm-hmm. if it's how uh, people choose not to use a travelator in an airport, mm-hmm. that's it. That's the sentence. That's all the information you need. It never ever the no jokes of Sean's require explanation. Okay. Um, and so you think, oh God, I'm needing, I'm, I'm having to do really narrow stuff, and you're thinking, well, narrower than that because he doesn't really do jokes about sex and stuff, which mm. is which is surprising. Mm. Uh, but actually, he's quite a he's quite a external, not an internal person. You know, he will say things like, "I can't be bothered to do this," or "I don't understand this." But he won't say, "I feel this about this." Okay, right. Okay. Uh, so, so it, it's you know, it's man meets world with Sean, or, or even boy meets world in, mm-hmm. in some perspective, uh, and it's something that everybody notices, and it doesn't involve stuff that's base. Uh, yes. that, that will give people an opinion about him. Yes. So in that respect, he's very much like McIntyre. Okay, okay. Because McIntyre is the man of the people, sure. despite being someone that everyone looks at and thinks, I don't know anyone like you. Yes, yes, yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> you know, uh, You know. nobody's got a mate, oh,
0: he's just like
2: McIntyre. Sure, whereas everyone sure, Whereas everyone's sure. Going, I've got a mate like Mickey Flanagan. Yes, yes,
0: yes. I've got a mate like Jeff Innocent. So it's about, so from your perspective, it's about how you bring yourself to, to those... Uh, to those processes and to those people, have you ever have you ever tried working with someone and it didn't work because you couldn't get into their perspective?
2: Totally, yeah. Russell Howard. Okay. R- Russell really rates me as a writer. Okay. Asked me to come and write with him on Not the Week. Asked with him to write on his on his show, mm-hmm. and I, I could come up with loads of funny stuff. And I just could tell it just wasn't in his voice. Sure. So pointless. Sure. You know, and this is the most depressing thing, probably because he is just a little bit far enough away from me that it's a generational rather than a perception difference yes okay frightening isn't it Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for a 39 year old to be going I'm too old to understand why you find that funny yes because his audience is well because he's younger than you hey, and look, his audience Russell is Howard existed before his audience yeah Russell Howard was doing things that Russell Howard found funny and he's an excellent stand up mm. and then his audience turned up for it I, I sometimes feel a bit sad because Russell Howard's actual audience should be much wider and broader yeah. than it currently is because his material is so ex- it, accessible guy i remember seeing him do our shows at edinburgh years and years ago and just crying with laughter i thought he was amazing but, but, was but a, also audience that audience it,
0: it wasn't a teeny bopper exactly,
2: audience thing. exactly yeah. that's right and um and and yet his audience is, is is molding into that but maybe it's because he applies he appeals to everyone mm-hmm. but very very few comics appeal to that demographic yes, yes it's, absolutely. it's not it's not the fact that um, He's not attractive to middle-aged people or sort of couples in sure, their thirties and that. It's the fact that those other people have got very few other comics they can go to. Yes. So, yes. so I mean, that's that's the case. So, yeah. So, no, absolutely. There are there are people who are um, who rate me as as a, as a writer, but ultimately hasn't worked. Um, and then the other person is writing with is, is Russell Kane, and, and that is nothing like anything else I've ever done before in my life. Okay. Well, you're not writing. You're you're micro directing. Okay. do not sit down and come up with ideas for jokes with him you listen to him talk about something you throw in an idea be it a word or a concept and you listen to him go off on one and then you write it down or you record it on your phone with a frightening rate because he's talking at ten to the dozen and then you go that bit you've just said there that will work really well with that routine there okay. and that okay. routine you did there if you put that on the back of that then you can refer back to that and you basically mm. he just it's like He's he's like a one man band and he's playing five different songs on five different instruments simultaneously yeah. and it's learning to disseminate that information sure. and put it back together so it's a harmony you know and the fact is Russell doesn't probably need me the reason why he needs me is because there are not enough hours in the day to get through the amount of work he has to do okay and he would be able to do everything I'm doing for him everything but he doesn't have the time sure so I am there effectively as a comedy PA <laughs> <laughs>
0: for someone that has such involvement with acts who have a bigger profile and one would imagine a bigger wage than you, mm. you seem very comfortable
2: to be in that role of the person helping. Do you know why? And this is weird because people think doesn't that dent your ego? Quite the opposite. What it does is remind me that the level I'm at where I have very, very little profile, though I'm very well known within the industry, sure, probably sure. not fingers in every pie really, but... Um, is the fact that the actual talent difference is quite small. Mm. You know, the, the comic who earns... It, it, it's a linear uh, relationship up until the last 10%, and then it becomes exponential. If you were to draw a graph of talent versus earnings and uh, profile... Okay. It's linear, 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 exponential, yes, right? Yes, okay. Yeah, you know, people that whole Jimmy Carr taxing and people looking at, you know half people looking at oh how much tax he's avoiding, all the comics are going, How much money is he earning? Yes, yes. Right? They weren't concerned about how much tax they're paying, they wanted to know how much money he was earning. Right. Is, is 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 a comic who earns any comic who earns a million pounds a year ten times funnier than one that earns a hundred thousand? Sure. No. No, of course. Are they doubly funny? Probably not. They're probably I'd say fifteen percent funnier, maybe twenty okay. percent max. Okay. Okay, so thinking, right, well, in that case, why isn't that person, those other people as well known? Because that last 15%, 20% is really important. Mm-hmm. That last 15%, 20% is the reason why you can go for a really good meal or you could go to a meal at a Michelin-star restaurant. Mm-hmm. Surely all those restaurants would be Michelin-star. They're not because they don't have that finesse mm-hmm. to be able to turn a plate of food into a piece of art, to, to do something. They think, oh, well, how does anyone else do that? To do something better, you know? Mm-hmm. you know? And that's why the best restaurants cost 10 times the price of a, you know, you know a, a harvester mm. or something like that you know it's, the food is better it's not 100 times better but it, but that the skill required to go there is is, is so much more important so um, so by writing with other people you would think well you know what, what's I'm giving my best ideas to bigger names and all the rest of it well I'm not because as I've kind of determined so much about writing for other people is about getting into their voice and their perspective mm. there are crossovers there are jokes I write for other people and think oh, I'd like that myself yeah but they're they're the minority are you ever
0: tempted when writing for or writing with someone else do you ever come up with a thing and then not say it because you think actually I'll put that in my back pocket no I think
2: that's I think that's cheeky because you're sat in a room being paid at that point in time because you're you're paid by the hour yeah. so at that point in time you're being paid by somebody else it's a bit like when people go to university and they, they write a paper mm-hmm. on, on something scientific and then they think oh, I'll go and sell that elsewhere and the, the university goes I own that and they go well I came up with it mm-hmm. no they, they kind of employed you the, the mm. university owns it you know I think that's fair no I think the um, uh, what has happened and certainly the case with Simon Brocken is I, I've come up with a joke he's gone that's great he's used it it hasn't worked for him And I said, can I have it back? Sure. And that's happened. Sure. So I've got a few jokes that I've written for him that he didn't want, but obviously never... And I've given jokes as well. I've had jokes that that I've retired from my set that have worked better for other people. Okay. And then once I've done that, I won't do them again. Okay. Sometimes I make a mistake and I say them on stage, and I think, ah, I gave that one away, didn't I? But thankfully... I'm prolific. I, I'm writing all the time. So, you know, I'm generating enough that there is enough there. There's a question that sometimes I, I like to ask
0: certain people, and I ask it of myself because it, it comes from me. I, <clears throat> whenever I have the joy of having had a really funny idea, for me, it's always slightly tempered with the idea, the fear that what if it's my last one? What if I run out one day? Oh, that's, that's now,
2: ridiculous paranoia based in nothing. <laughs> <laughs> There's the answer then. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. ridiculous. Who, who, who sits and composes a song and then goes that'll be the last one all other songs have been done that's it there's not enough notes left there are not enough notes to get into the correct order to make another song. That's that's my last song ever. Well, because every note's ever, been, every song's ever been written, isn't it? I mean, look at it. I mean, like the Beatles had it easy because people there were, hadn't been enough songs. That was ridiculous, 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 ridiculous. Let's talk about mathematical probabilities, right? Let's look at it, right? A, a note is a, a musical note is well, on a scale. How many are there? Is it thirteen or seventeen or something? I don't know, right? Okay, and then you have four of those in a in a bar, assuming you a four beat and all like this, and then you got a chorus. And you yeah, fair enough. Thirteen to the power of thirteen. Four times times that by a page times that by you know just it's you're talking billions trillions zillions of co- possibilities uh, and comedy is made up of words intonations gaps uh, inferences understandings you know the, the whole idea of Freud said there's only four jokes he was Austrian they had very shit comedy clubs in Austria all right okay it's just it, th- there is so many parameters involved in the generation and the and the, and the delivery of a joke there is no mm-hmm there is no uh, chance that you'll ever run out and more importantly comedy isn't a static beast Uh, as I think I had this chat with you recently but I've had this chat with a few other people as well I was talking to Joe Caulfield actually about this in the comedy store last week Um, if you leave comedy as a comic and you say oh do you know what I'm going to travel the world for a year and come back Mm. when you come back you will not just be rusty because you haven't been doing comedy and so you're not up to be with it your delivery material and whole persona will be a year out of date right? okay yeah. when comics yeah, I remember us talking when about comics this, yes. stop improving they automatically go backwards mm. it's not just because the people coming into the industry are getting funnier and better and all the rest of it Though they are I mean I see some mm. extraordinarily confident and competent open spots nowadays and it frightens me because I remember just how rubbish I was for yeah, the first two years yeah. right but it, it moves what makes people laugh changes what people are expecting people to say changes mm. people's parameters and what an acceptable joke is changes people saying oh you know everything's been done now you know there are no holds barred and stand up so the alternative circuit covers all bases you can talk about paedophilia you can talk mm. about you know raping the queen or whatever it is people do you know like because you can say about anything now it's not going to get any, you know it's not going to of course it is of course it constantly is moving on people's terms of references are changing people's ex- expectations of what is funny is changing people's language is changing do you know what I mean like, is, you know uh, six months ago Fifty Shades a great joke Woo! Yeah. a month ago Gangnam Style Joke Woo! Right, yeah. years time what a load of wank yeah, you know, yeah. people have no interest in it whatsoever so you know because we reflect society because we're d- working on the in the industry of observation uh, and the world is a dynamic place then so is comedy it, so daft daft I, I think the only the worst thing you can do is convince yourself that and stop writing because then your comedy goes backwards There are people who I looked up to when I started in comedy going, that is incredible. How do you do that? That's amazing. I'll never be able to do that. And now I see them and they're doing something similar to when I started them and I think that's rubbish, Mm. right? And the only reason why it's rubbish is because they didn't change. Mm. Terrible, isn't it? Brilliant, brilliant. Um, no, I mean, it, it is
0: terrible. What I mean is that was a brilliant and uh, comprehensive answer, which in the first instance sounded very, very mathematic, and uh, very mathematical, rather, and very scientific, mm. until you used the word zillions. And I thought, oh, wait a minute, this guy's making it up. It's a million million. <laughs> a zillion is a million million. That's
2: not a real term. A zillion is a million million. Stephen, thank you very much. Hey! That's brilliant. Right. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And if you do want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Stephen C. Grant... You, uh, or it's stevengrant.com correct um uh, yeah cool. thank you very much great
0: So thanks to Stephen, an incredibly comprehensive interview there and um, a really convincing argument, I thought, for Edinburgh as a place to try new ideas. Imagine such a thing. So uh, loads more stuff available on that, uh, on all sorts of subjects from uh, Stephen at uh, www.comedianscomedian.com backslash Stephen S-T-E-P-H-E-N thanks for listening thanks to all my technical support people uh, if you're coming to the live special next week you'll be getting an email with the location very soon and I'll, uh, I'll see you there
2: oh you were right you were right a I'm z- leaving that in <laughs> I'm bloody leaving this in a zillion in. is a very large indefinite number yeah Hyper- usually hyperbole